0: Section 24 of Bede's Ecclesiastical History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Felicity Campbell. The Ecclesiastical History of England by the Venerable Bede. Translated by A.M. Seller. Book 5. Chapters 1 through 7. Book Five, Chapter One: How Ethelwald, successor to Cuthbert, leading a hermit's life, calmed a tempest by his prayers when the brethren were in danger at sea, six eighty seven to six ninety nine A.D. The venerable Ethelwald succeeded the man of God Cuthbert in the exercise of a solitary life, which he spent in the Isle of Farne before he became a bishop after he had received the priesthood he consecrated his office by deeds worthy of that degree for many years in the monastery which is called in to the end that his merit and manner of life may be the more certainly made known i will relate one miracle of his which was told me by one of the brothers for and on whom the same was wrought to wit Guthred, the venerable servant and priest of christ who also afterwards as abbot presided over the brethren of the same church of lindisfarne in which he was educated i came says he to the island of farn with two others of the brethren desiring to speak with the most reverend father ethelwald having been refreshed with his discourse and asked for his blessing as we were returning home behold on a sudden when we were in the midst of the sea The fair weather in which we were sailing was broken, and there arose so great and terrible a tempest that neither sails nor oars were of any use to us, nor had we anything to expect but death. After long struggling with the wind and waves to no effect, at last we looked back to see whether it was possible by any means at least to return to the island whence we came but we found that we were on all sides alike cut off by the storm, and that there was no hope of escape by our own efforts. But, looking further, we perceived on the island of Farn our father Ethelbald, beloved of God, come out of his retreat to watch our course, for hearing the noise of the tempest and raging sea, he had come forth to see what would become of us. When he beheld us in distress and despair, he bowed his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in prayer for our life and safety. And as he finished his prayer, he calmed the swelling water in such sort that the fierceness of the storm ceased on all sides, and fair winds attended us over a smooth sea to the very shore. When we had landed and had pulled up our small vessel from the waves the storm which had ceased a short time for our sake presently returned and raged furiously during the whole day so that it plainly appeared that the brief interval of calm had been granted by heaven in answer to the prayers of the man of god to the end that we might escape the man of god remained in the isle of farn twelve years and died there but was buried in the church of the blessed Apostle Peter in the Isle of Lindisfarne, beside the bodies of the aforesaid bishops. These things happened in the days of King Alfred, who, after his brother Egfrid, ruled the nation of the Northumbrians for nineteen years. Chapter 2. How Bishop John Cured a Dumb Man by His Blessing. 687 A.D in the beginning of alfred's reign bishop iata died and was succeeded in the bishopric of the church of haggleston by the holy man john of whom those that knew him well are wont to tell many miracles and more particularly burthon a man worthy of all reverence and of undoubted truthfulness and once as deacon now abbot of the monastery called inderao uda that is in the wood of the Some of the miracles we have thought fit to hand on to posterity. There is a certain remote dwelling enclosed by a mound among scattered trees not far from the church of Hagelstald, being about a mile and a half distant, and separated from it by the river Tyne, having an oratory dedicated to Saint Michael the Archangel, where the man of God used frequently, as occasion offered, and specially in Lent, to abide with a few companions and in quiet give himself to prayer and study. Having come hither once at the beginning of Lent to stay, he bade his followers find out some poor man labouring under any grievous infirmity or want, whom they might keep with them during those days to receive alms, for so he was always used to do. There was in a township not far off a certain youth who was dumb, known to the bishop, for he often used to come into his presence to receive alms. He had never been able to speak one word. Besides, he had so much scurf and scab on his head that no hair could ever grow on the top of it, but only some rough hairs stood on end round about it. The bishop caused this young man to be brought and a little hut to be made for him within the enclosure of the dwelling in which he might abide and receive alms from him every day. When one week of Lent was over, the next Sunday he bade the poor man come to him, and when he had come, he bade him put his tongue out of his mouth and show it him. Then, taking him by the chin, he made the sign of the Holy Cross on his tongue, directing him to draw it back, so signed, into his mouth and to speak. Pronounce some word, said he, say Gai which in the language of the English is the word of affirming and consenting, that is, yes. The youth's tongue was immediately loosed, and he spoke as he was bidden. The bishop then added the names of the letters. Say A. He said A. Say B. He said B also. When he had repeated all the letters after the bishop, the latter proceeded to put syllables and words to him and when he had repeated them all rightly he bade him utter whole sentences and he did it nor did he cease all that day and the next night as long as he could keep awake as those who were present relate to say something and to express his private thoughts and wishes to others which he could never do before after the manner of the man long lame who, when he was healed by the apostles Peter and John, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising the Lord, rejoicing to have the use of his feet, which he had so long lacked. The bishop, rejoicing with him at his cure, caused the physician to take in hand the healing of the sores of his head. He did as he was bidden, and with the help of the bishop's blessing and prayers, A goodly head of hair grew as the skin was healed. Thus the youth became fair of countenance, ready of speech, with hair curling in comely fashion, whereas before he had been ill-favoured, miserable, and dumb. Thus filled with joy at his recovered health, notwithstanding that the bishop offered to keep him in his own household, he chose rather to return home chapter three how he healed a sick maiden by his prayers seven hundred and five a d the same Burthen told another miracle concerning the said bishop when the most reverend Wilfrid, after a long banishment was admitted to the bishopric of the church of haglestalt and therefore said john upon the death of bosa a man of great sanctity and humility was in his place appointed Bishop of York, he himself came once upon a time to the monastery of nuns at the place called Wetterdun, where the abbess Hereberg then presided. When we were come hither, said he, and had been received with great and universal joy, the abbess told us that one of the nuns, who was her own daughter after the flesh, laboured under a grievous sickness, for she had been lately let blood in the arm, and whilst she was under treatment, was seized with an attack of sudden pain, which speedily increased, while the wounded arm became worse, and so much swollen that it could scarce be compassed with both hands, and she lay in bed like to die through excess of pain. Wherefore the abbess entreated the bishop that he would vouchsafe to go in and give her his blessing. FOR SHE BELIEVED THAT SHE WOULD SOON BE BETTER IF HE BLESSED HER, OR LAID HIS HANDS UPON HER. HE ASKED WHEN THE MAIDEN HAD BEEN LET BLOOD, AND BEING TOLD THAT IT WAS ON THE FOURTH DAY OF THE MOON, SAID, YOU DID VERY indiscreetly AND UNSKILLFULLY TO LET BLOOD ON THE FOURTH DAY OF THE MOON, FOR I REMEMBER THAT ARCHBISHOP THEODORE, OF BLESSED MEMORY, SAID THAT BLOODLETTING AT THAT TIME WAS VERY DANGEROUS, when the light of the moon is waxing, and the tide of the ocean is rising. And what can I do for the maiden, if she is like to die? But the abbess still earnestly entreated for her daughter, whom she dearly loved, and designed to make abbess in her stead, and at last prevailed with him to go in and visit the sick maiden. Wherefore he went in, taking me with him to the maid, who lay, as I said, in sore anguish, and her arms swelling so greatly that it could not be bent at all at the elbow and he stood and said a prayer over her and having given his blessing went out afterwards as we were sitting at table at the usual hour some one came in and called me up saying kernberg that was the maid's name desires that you should immediately go back to her this i did and entering the chamber I found her of more cheerful countenance and like one in good health, and while I was sitting beside her she said, Shall we call for something to drink? Yes, said I, and right glad am I, if you can. When the cup was brought, and we had both drunk, she said, As soon as the bishop had said the prayer for me, and given me his blessing and had gone out, I immediately began to mend. And though I have not yet recovered my former strength, yet all the pain is quite gone both from my arm, where it was most burning, and from all my body, as if the bishop had carried it away with him, notwithstanding the swelling of the arm still seems to remain, but when we departed thence, the cure of the pain in her limbs was followed by the assuaging of the grievous swelling." and the maiden, being thus delivered from pains and death, returned praise to our Lord and Saviour, in company with his other servants who were there. Chapter 4 How He Healed a thame's Wife that was Sick with Holy Water The same abbot related another miracle, not unlike the former of their aforesaid bishop. Not very far from our monastery, he said, to wit, about two miles off, was the township of one Pouch, a Thane, whose wife had lain sick of a very grievous disease for nearly forty days, insomuch that for three weeks she could not be carried out of the chamber where she lay. It happened that the man of God was, at that time, called thither by the Thane to consecrate a church, and when that was done the Thane desired him to come into his house and dine the bishop declined saying that he must return to the monastery which was very near the thane entreating him more earnestly vowed he would also give alms to the poor if so be that the bishop would vouchsafe to enter his house that day and break his fast i joined my entreaties to his promising in like manner to give alms for the relief of the poor if he would but go and dine at the thane's house and give his blessing having at length with much difficulty prevailed, we went in to refresh ourselves. The bishop had sent to the woman that lay sick some of the holy water which he had blessed for the consecration of the church by one of the brothers who had come with me, ordering him to give her some to drink and wash that part of her where he found that her pain was greatest with some of the same water. This being done, the woman immediately got up, whole and sound, and perceiving that she had not only been delivered from her long sickness, but at the same time had recovered the strength which she had lost for so great a time, she presented the cup to the bishop and to us, and continued serving us with meat and drink as she had begun, till dinner was over. Following the example of the blessed Peter's wife's mother, who having been sick of a fever arose at the touch of our lord's hand and having forthwith received health and strength ministered to them chapter five: how he likewise recalled by his prayers a thane's servant from death at another time also being called to consecrate the church of a thane named adi when he had performed the required duty he was entreated by the Thane to go in to one of his servants, who lay dangerously ill, insomuch that, having lost all use of his limbs, he seemed to be at the point of death, and, moreover, the coffin had been made ready wherein to bury him after his death. The Thane urged his entreaties with tears, earnestly beseeching him that he would go in and pray for the servant, because his life was of great moment to him, and he believed that if the bishop would lay his hand upon him and give him his blessing, he would soon mend. So the bishop went in and saw him very near death, and by his side the coffin in which he was to be laid for his burial, whilst all mourned. He said a prayer and blessed him, and going out spake the wonted words of comfort, "'Good health be yours, and that speedily,' Afterwards, when they were sitting at table, the servant sent to his lord, desiring that he would let him have a cup of wine, because he was thirsty. The thane, rejoicing greatly that he could drink, sent him a cup of wine, blessed by the bishop, and, as soon as he had drunk it, he immediately got up, and, shaking off the heaviness of his infirmity, dressed himself and went forth and going into the bishop saluted him and the other guests, saying that he also would gladly eat and drink with them. They bade him sit down with them at table, greatly rejoicing at his recovery. He sat down, ate and drank and made merry, and behaved himself like the rest of the company, and living many years after, continued in the same health which he had gained. The aforesaid abbot says this miracle was not wrought in his presence, but that he had it from those who were present. Chapter 6 How, both by his prayers and blessing, he recalled from death one of his clerks who had bruised himself by a fall. Nor do I think that this miracle which Heribald, the servant of Christ, says was wrought upon himself by the bishop, is to be passed over in silence, he was then one of that bishop's clergy, but now presides as abbot in the monastery at the mouth of the River Tyne. Living with him, said he, and being very well acquainted with his course of life, I found it to be in all points worthy of a bishop, as far as it is lawful for men to judge. But I have known by the experience of others, and more particularly by my own, how great his merit was before him, who seeth the heart having been by his prayer and blessing recalled from the threshold of death and brought back to the way of life for when in the prime of my youth i lived among his clergy applying myself to reading and singing but not having yet altogether withdrawn my heart from youthful pleasures it happened one day that as we were travelling with them we came into a plain and open road well fitted for galloping the young men that were with them, and especially the laymen, began to entreat the bishop to give them leave to gallop and make trial of their horses one with another. He at first refused, saying that it was an idle request, but at last, overcome by the unanimous desire of so many, "'Do so,' said he, "'if you will, but let Heribald have no part in the trial. Then I earnestly prayed that I might have leave to compete with the rest,' for I relied on an excellent horse, which he had himself given me, but I could in no wise obtain my request. When they had several times galloped backwards and forwards, the bishop and I looking on, my wanton humour prevailed, and I could no longer refrain, but though he forbade me, I struck in among them at their sport, and began to ride with them at full speed. Whereat I heard him call after me with a groan, "'Alas! how much you grieve me by riding after that manner! "'Though I heard him, I went on against his command, "'but immediately the fiery horse taking a great leap over a hollow place in the way, I fell, "'and at once lost all sense and motion, like one dying, "'for there was in that place a stone level with the ground, "'covered with only a thin coating of turf, and no other stone was to be found in all that expansive plain. And it happened by chance, or rather by divine providence so ordering it, to punish my disobedience that my head and my hand, which in falling I had put under my head, struck upon that stone, so that my thumb was broken and my skull fractured, and I became, as I said, like one dead. And because I could not move, they stretched a tent there for me to lie in. It was about the seventh hour of the day, and having lain still and as it were dead from that time till the evening, I then revived a little, and was carried home by my companions, and lay speechless all the night, vomiting blood, because something was broken within me by the fall. The bishop was very much grieved at my fall and my misfortune, for he bore me extraordinary affection. Nor would he stay that night as he was wont among his clergy, but spent it alone in watching and prayer, imploring the divine goodness, as I suppose, for my preservation. Coming to me early in the morning, and having said a prayer over me, he called me by my name, and when I awoke, as it were, out of a heavy sleep, he asked whether I knew who it was that spoke to me, I opened my eyes and said, "'Yes, you are my beloved bishop.' "'Can you live?' said he. I answered, "'I can through your prayers, if the Lord will.' He then laid his hand on my head with the words of blessing and returned to prayer. When he came again to see me in a short time, he found me sitting and able to talk, and being moved by divine inspiration as it soon appeared, began to ask me whether I knew for certain that I had been baptised. I answered that I knew beyond all doubt that I had been washed in the font of salvation for the remission of sins, and I named the priest by whom I knew that I had been baptised. He replied, If you were baptised by that priest, your baptism is not perfect, for I know him, and that when he was ordained priest, he could in no wise, by reason of the dulness of his understanding, learn the ministry of catechizing and baptizing, for which reason I enjoined upon him altogether to desist from presuming to exercise that ministry, which he could not duly perform. This said, he set himself to catechize me that same hour, and it came to pass that when he breathed on my face, straightway I felt better. He called the surgeon and ordered him to set and bind up my skull where it was fractured. And presently, having received his blessing, I was so much better that I mounted on horseback the next day and travelled with him to another place, and being soon after perfectly recovered, I was washed in the water of life. He continued in his bishopric thirty-three years, and then ascending to the heavenly kingdom, was buried in St. Peter's Chapel, in his own monastery, which is called In the Wood of the Deiri, in the year of our Lord 721. For having by his great age become unable to govern his bishopric, he ordained Wilfred, his priest, bishop of the Church of York, and retired to the aforesaid monastery, and there ended his days in godly conversation. Chapter 7. How Cerdwaller, king of the West Saxons, went to Rome to be baptised, and his successor, Eni, also devoutly journeyed to the same threshold of the holy apostles. 688 AD. In the third year of the reign of Alfred, Cadwaller, king of the West Saxons, having most vigorously governed his nation for two years, quitted his crown for the sake of the Lord and an everlasting kingdom, and went to Rome, being desirous to obtain the peculiar honor of being cleansed in the baptismal font at the threshold of the blessed apostles, for he had learned that in baptism alone the entrance into the heavenly life is opened to mankind and he hoped at the same time that, being made clean by baptism, he should soon be freed from the bonds of the flesh and pass to the eternal joys of heaven, both which things, by the help of the Lord, came to pass, according as he had conceived in his mind. For, coming to Rome at the time that Sergius was pope, he was baptized on the holy Saturday before Easter day, in the year of our Lord, 689 and being still in his white garments he fell sick and was set free from the bonds of the flesh on the twentieth of april and obtained an entrance into the kingdom of the blessed in heaven at his baptism the aforesaid pope had given him the name of peter to the end that he might be also united in name to the most blessed chief of the apostles to whose most holy body his pious love had led him from the utmost bounds of the earth. He was likewise buried in his church, and by the Pope's command an epitaph was written on his tomb, wherein the memory of his devotion might be preserved for ever, and the readers or hearers thereof might be stirred up to give themselves to religion by the example of what he had done. The epitaph was this high estate wealth offspring a mighty kingdom triumphs spoils chieftains strongholds the camp are home whatsoever the valour of his sires whatsoever himself had won cared wrong, mighty in war left for the love of god that a pilgrim king he might behold peter and peter's seat receive at his font pure waters of life and in bright draughts drink of the shining radiance whence a quickening glory streams through all the world. And even as he gained with eager soul the prize of the new life, he laid aside barbaric rage, and changed in heart, he changed his name with joy. Sergius the Pope bade him be called Peter, himself his father, when he rose born anew from the font and the grace of christ cleansing him bore him forth with clothed in white raiment to the heights of heaven o wondrous faith of the king but greatest of all the mercy of christ into whose counsels none may enter for he came in safety from the ends of the earth even from britain through many a nation over many a sea by many a path and saw the city of romulus and looked upon Peter's sanctuary revered, bearing mystic gifts. He shall walk in white among the sheep of Christ in fellowship with them, for his body is in the tomb, but his soul on high. Thou mightest deem he did but change an earthly for a heavenly scepter, whom thou seest attain to the kingdom of Christ. Here was buried Caedwalla, called also Peter, King of the Saxons, on the twentieth day of April, in the second indiction, aged about thirty years, in the reign of our most pious lord, the Emperor Justinian, in the fourth year of his consulship, in the second year of the pontificate of our apostolic lord, Pope Sergius. When Caedwalla went to Rome, Any succeeded to the kingdom, being of the blood royal, and having reigned thirty-seven years over that nation, he in like manner left his kingdom and committed it to younger men, and went away to the threshold of the blessed apostles at the time when Gregory was pope, being desirous to spend some part of his pilgrimage upon earth in the neighbourhood of the holy places." that he might obtain to be more readily received into the fellowship of the saints in heaven. This same thing about that time was wont to be done most zealously by many of the English nation, nobles and commons, laity and clergy, men and women. End of Book 5, Chapters 1 through 7 Recording by Felicity Campbell Book One for me dot com, Whanganui, New Zealand.